This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinney's. I'm Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. Prepare to feel hungry. Prepare to feel inspired. I can almost hear your tummy rumbling. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Delighted to be talking food as ever on a Thursday afternoon and chefs, cheese, spinnies, it's just all the good things coming together and joining us today from Elichi Dubai where he is the head chef, it's Chef Dominico Santagada. He was head chef at Miras's Antonio Maras Ristorante in City Walk. He's worked with Marco Pierre White. He's been across London as well and we are going to be talking about one of my favourite ingredients cheese but before we come to Grana Padano I wanted to ask you chef a little bit about your culinary background really where were you born? Actually I was born in uh, south of Italy in Calabria so a bit far from where uh, Grana Padano is produced but still a very uh, I can say a very important ingredient in, uh, in all Italy if you think about it and I believe in all the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your first foodie memory who was cooking in your home and what were they making? My first food memory, for sure, like in south of Italy, in, uh, in Calabria as well. Your first experience, your first touch here with food is always with your mother, your grandmother. And there is a lot of uh, foraging as well in south of Italy. Mm-hmm. If you think about Calabria, you know, for going for, uh, for fishing or maybe going for uh, harvest mushroom, wild, uh, wild plants, wild uh, fruits as well. So I'm always, I was always in this kind of uh, environment. So learning a huge amount about ingredients then from a really young age, from fresh seafood, things that are available around you, that must have given you a huge respect for produce and the importance of using quality, even in the most simple of dishes. I believe that the, the first step is to find the right ingredient. That is the base for every cuisine, I believe, for every chef around the world. You need to source the best. If you have that, even with a, with simple, with a simple touch on it, will taste amazing. It's, it's that simple, really. And tell us then, when did you think that food could be your life, that you wanted to be a chef? Well, really in a, in a very early stage of my life, I would say. When I was around 14 years old, I started, my, I started to work in my first uh, restaurant around Calabria, in my area. And from there, I chose to the school, so the Culinary Academy. That was just a keep. Uh, things that was always in my in my life in the very early early stage. From Italy then to London at Lanima, and then as I said, we're lucky enough to have you here in Dubai across a number of restaurants, but now heading up the kitchens at Alici. So award-winning cuisine. Um, can you tell us for anyone who hasn't been to Alici before a little bit about the menu? All right, the menu the menu at Alici is strongly on a focus on seafood. It is the main the main uh, our main. Uh, Focus, of course. We focus as well a lot on raw seafood, so mazzara prawns from uh, south of Italy. Uh, we do the bluefin tuna from Mediterranean Sea, from Balfego. We do a lot of ingredients, a lot of dish and product from, from that area. And as well, we focus a lot on what is the best in Dubai, what is the best around the world. So we are sourcing locally from uh, my farm. Uh, all our herbs and uh, tomatoes, we source locally, for example, Diva Oyster. From Diva Bay. Then we might import uh, yellowtail from Japan. We use organic salmon from fish farm, just 20 minutes away from Alici. So we're really trying to get the best of what we can to deliver the, the best food on Dubai. Been so, so well received. It really has, um, you know, you've got some really loyal diners there and people who come for a special occasion, but then find themselves coming back for many an occasion, which is just, you know, testament really to the creativity and hard work. And as, as you say, sourcing ingredients from right here, fish and Jabalali to Japan and to Italy, of course, uh, your native land as well. So let's talk cheese. For anyone who hasn't tried Grana Padana, how do you describe the taste? Can you tell us a little bit about this cheese? Grana Padana for me is like, very good cheese because first of all it, it takes a long time to be produced before even it's called Grana Padano it takes up to nine months before you can say it's Grana Padano or not so that's like, that's already like that, a, that's like a baby that a lot of, yes so <laughs> before nine months it's only a cheese mm-hmm. then after nine months you can 
can get stamped with the Grana Padano uh, name. And how do you just how do you describe what it tastes like for anyone who hasn't tried it, and even what it looks like? Well, it's quite a, kind of grainy, consistent cheese. It goes from uh, a bit slightly more creamy when the young age, in the young months, from nine to to sixteen. Then it goes a bit more firm, crumbly texture, very rich in umami, and of course during this aging process, it starts on nine months and up to twenty months. There is a lot of flavor going through this. Uh, let's say, two years of uh, aging. So you start from creamy, a bit more sweet, slightly grainy, to the 20 uh, months old that is very firm, much more grainy, rich of umami, more dry, and, uh, and so on. Oh, you're making me hungry. You mentioned umami there. Can you explain what that is? In I know you're a chef, but for anyone who hasn't heard the phrase umami before, what is it and what effect does it have on our taste buds? That umami is a... It's called the, it's the flavor that you, you find when, for example, you are, uh, you are uh, eating a raw head of red shrimps. That's rich flavor. When you eat Rana Padano, again, you get this umami uh, flavor. When you have a, a very good steak that makes you, activates all your palate, your tongue makes you like salivating a bit, that is the, that umami, that richness that you find a lot, a lot of umami is find as well in the mushroom when you have mm. a nice fine umami on it, like as a as a, as a taste. Uh, that's how I know. I think of it as being that kind of that truffle that you know it catches your nose and then your mouth starts watering, and it's it is yes. something really really special, and it even can be something quite subtle, but just adds this incredible element to any dish this kind of sixth taste almost that we get you know that kind of sweet and salty like, and sour and then something that's completely unique the flavor. wherever you if you use grana padano in uh, in your pasta it upgrades at, automatically the dish you finish one risotto with grana padano is boosting the flavor of that risotto you're using grana padano on a salad is boosting the salad out mm. even in some sweet preparation if you add just a touch of grana padano it gives you that, that richness, that extra flavor that helps to, to release, to, to achieve a more umami. Yeah, that wow factor that we all try so hard at home to recreate dishes like you have at Alici. And sometimes it is a case of using the kind of ingredients that chefs use, which, you know, as we know, is available in spinny stores just to, to elevate. So can you give us some ideas, some even recipe suggestions of how we could be using it at home? I would say the most simple way how to use it is to finish, as I said before, to finish your pasta with a fresh tomato sauce, to shake on a salad, to finish one uh, risotto. You can use it even simply grana padano. You sprinkle on a hot pan. You let oh. it melt down a bit. Then it, and you remove it from the pan and let it settle on the side. You have a beautiful grana padano kind of a chips. You just eat it by its own or you put somewhere on a, on a salad or in another dish to get a bit of crunchiness, a lot of use of it. You can use for a, for a nice fondue. So you just add some butter, a bit of flour, uh, some milk, you add grana padana in the hand, you have a bit of fondue. There's so many applications. And so you can use it in many, many ways. Oh, Chef Dominico, the head chef at the Leachy Dubai. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. I've been talking Grana Pandano with Chef Dominica Santagada from Alici. I love the I love the background noise. You can tell that service is getting underway for a busy Thursday afternoon and evening. So great to have you joining us from Alici this afternoon, Thank Chef you. Dom. Um, I wanted to ask you about what PDO means. So in order to preserve the authenticity of the manufacturing process and raw materials used to make Grana Padano, um, the European Union law has protected the name under protected de- uh, designation of origin since 1996. Right. So this is, this is, right. what does PDO and, mean and to you as a chef? Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, Rana Padana got PDO since 1996 in uh, European Union and 19, if I'm not wrong, 1950s, somewhere there in Italy. Basically something that, you know, all the effort that the producers are, are putting into create Rana Padano, all the effort of the communities around the area, Farmers, uh, all wherever you you put in it needs to be kind of protected because if not, everyone can use that specific name, Grana Padano, in any cheese. So we try to to protect the Grana Padano name in any other kind of cheese around the European Union. 
And can you explain a little bit about how it's made? Um, have, what do you know about what happens behind the scenes before it reaches your kitchens or it reaches our supermarket shelves? Because it's got quite a rich history of being really specific about even, you know, the copper pans and the types of, uh, of milk that's used. The milk, of only the cow milk from Italy and from that specific region. So Val, uh, uh, near Chiara uh, Valle Bay, where is the region of the Grana Padano. Only cheese from Italy has been used uh, is milk the cow milk two times a day, morning and evening, and that as well gives you the standard how to produce uh, Grana Padano. So the evening milk is mixed with the morning one in a copper pan, it's spring to 35 degrees, then it's, uh, it's mixed, skimmed to take out all the all the product and then insert to the stump that are going up to from 15 kilo up to 40 kilo. So basically to produce one kilo of Grana Padano you you end up using 15 liters of uh, milk. Wow. I'd like 14 kilos of this cheese. I think that would be pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and how, how about in Alici? Um, how, how are you using this, this cheese in some of the dishes there? Is it a case of things that we can do at home, you know, like a beautiful cheese plate or to finishing a pasta? Or is there anything you're doing that's a bit more kind of crazy, creative and chef-like? Oh, we use, uh, as I told you before, we're using it in the standard, let's say, standard way where you use it for finish your pasta, when you use it to finish your uh, mushroom risotto, your uh, saffron risotto. We use in our uh, bresaola as well, so with grana. We use it in our salads as well, lots. Uh, the more like kind of different way where we use the uh, grana padano is in our, uh, there's a bit of grana padano in our cheesecake. So what? It's made no. Just for the, the reason I gave you before. Uh, we add a small percentage of Grana Padano in our cheesecake. We have uh, a, a Grana Padano cream for our eggplant. So it's a mix of Grana Padano, water, corn oil. We blend it for uh, 20 minutes at certain temperature when it becomes very creamy and subtle. Uh, we use in our cheese selection with uh, aged balsamic vinegar from the same uh, region. Many, many preparations, I would say. It's a winner ingredient. You see it in, uh, even if it's not named in certain dish, you might find it, especially in Italian cuisine. It's like that all around. I love that you use this cheese in an actual cheesecake to get that earthiness, that umami flavor all the way through from starter main and dessert. That sounds, I need to try this. Um, chef, can I ask if anyone's going to come to Alici over the weekend? Do you feel like there's a dish that they absolutely have to try? Otherwise, they haven't really had the Alici experience. For the experience, I would say our crudo selection, our crudo tower. That is the, the ultimate, like, alici dish where you, where you see our seafood in the purest way, in the, in the most uh, original, uh, authentic way of alici. The essence of you as a chef and the essence of the restaurant as well. Um, chef, I can hear things are cooking up there, so I'm going to let you get back to your kitchen, to your crew. Have a wonderful Thursday evening service. Have a great weekend ahead. The weather's beautiful for dining outside, enjoying the best seafood, the best cheese, the best company. And thank you, Chef Dom. Really thank appreciate you. your time this afternoon. Take care. Good weekend. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Ah, oh, sweet dreams are made of cheese indeed. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Such a treat to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. Helen Farmer with you, brought to you by Spinneys. It is Farmer's Kitchen, your chance to get some recipe inspiration. We're talking Ramadan very soon. Learn about some local businesses too, ones that you can find on the shelves of Spinneys, and to win some brilliant prizes as well. It is your cheese quiz. Many of you have been getting in touch with quite simply the word cheese to go into the draw. Two people now going head to head to win a 500 dirham voucher to spend in store. Chef Cut, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Happy Thursday. How are you? Yes, I'm doing perfectly. All right. Good. Now, we are talking cheese this afternoon. On a scale of one to ten, how much do you love the good stuff? <laughs> I love the cheese, and yeah. even in sweets and then salt. Oh, salt okay. Flavors, anything. You're the perfect candidate then to go head to head. And I have to say, it's with a birthday girl. Emily, happy birthday. Hello, Helen. Thank you. So, well, what are your plans for the birthday? How are you going to be celebrating, apart from a chat about cheese? <laughs> um, maybe some light celebration in the evening. 
Good stuff. Okay, well, maybe we can give you another reason to smile today because there's a 500 dirham voucher to spend in store at Spinney's on whatever you want. If you win, Emily, what would you spend that voucher on? Cheese. Yes, correct answer. And what about you, Shafan? What would you spend that voucher on? Of course, I will do that the same because I love pizzas. All right. Okay. So, Chef Kat, we are going to start with you. We've got four questions each, so you don't need to worry about interrupting each other. We're going to go one by one. So, Chef Kat will get a question. Emily, you'll get a question. Four questions each. The person with the most correct answers will be the winner, and I do have a tiebreaker if needed. It's multiple choice, so don't worry about necessarily knowing the answer straight away. Chef Kat, let's start with you. Which of these right. is, a, is a cheese? Paneer or tandoor? Paneer or tandoor? Yeah, which is a cheese? Paneer. Is that the correct answer? Correct. So one for one, Chef Kat. So, um, Emily, over to you. Which of these cheeses come from Italy? Is it Gouda or Gorgonzola? Gorgonzola. Is that the correct answer? Yeah, okay. I knew we had the right people. All right, sir, you are next. Can I ask you, where does cheddar cheese come from? Is it England or Egypt? Cheddar cheese is from... England. Oh, let's find out. I think I've made this too easy. Right, okay, Emily, birthday girl. The most expensive cheese in the world comes from which animal? From the camel or the donkey? Camel. Is that the correct answer? Okay, right. Sorry, sorry. No, it comes from the donkey. Apparently donkey cheese, very much in demand internationally. Who knew? Every day's a school day. Okay, Chef Kat. Now, we've been talking about Grana Pandano this afternoon. But where is it from? Is Grana Pandano from Iceland or Italy? Answer right away. Iceland or Italy? Panda? Pandal. Grana Pandano. We've been talking about it this afternoon with Chef from Alici. Is it from Iceland or Italy? Um, Italy. Correct answer. Let's find out. Okay. Right, Emily, you need to get this one right to stay in the game. What are... Now, this is, a, this is a good bit of trivia for your birthday evening. What are the holes in cheese called? So, you know, the cheese that, you know, you'd have, you'd see in cartoons. Eyes. Oh, you didn't even need to have multiple choice. <laughs> Eyes is correct. Oh. Okay. So, okay. Now, let's just find out. Okay. So, you, sir, have got three for three. Uh, Emily is, is, uh, is down one. But can I ask you, Chef Kat, which of these is a blue cheese? Is brie a blue cheese or is Stilton a blue cheese? Blue cheeses? Go, go, go. Gluten. Which what, one? What is that? Gluten? A blue cheese. It's known as a blue cheese. Is it brie or is it Stilton? Have a guess quickly. It's gluten. Sorry, out of time. So we... Oh my goodness! There we go. This this it could come down. It could come down to this one. You've both uh, you've both been performing incredibly well. Um, so let me ask you this last final question, Emily. Halloumi, okay. and I have to say, halloumi is one of my favourite cheeses. Halloumi is known to make which noise? Does it squeak or does it whistle? Uh, wow. I'm imagining, uh, sorry, what are the options? Squeak or whistle when you bite it. Squeak. It does squeak. Okay, so we're going to have to go to our tiebreaker. So you both got three answers correct there. Now, this is going to be the first correct answer. We'll get that 500 dirhams to spend in store in Spinney's. You're both going to be wanting to raid the cheese aisle. Um, Now, listen. That you need to tell me as quickly as possible. Shout out the answer. The first one to get it right wins. Now, recently, a pasta dish went viral on TikTok. It had millions of views, millions of people creating. But what? Oh, Emily, I was going to say, what cheese did it use? It did use feta. <laughs> Emily, congratulations. Happy birthday indeed. Thank you. Thank Emily, you. well done. Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> oh, goodness, I've but, been sweating. Oh, no, no need to sweat. Um, 500 dirhams coming to you, birthday girl, for you to spend in Spinney's on whatever you want. Get yourself a brilliant birthday cake. Get a cake made of cheese. Thank you both. Thank Have you a wonderful, so wonderful weekend. What a prize. And you can win that 500 dirham voucher every single Thursday here on Farmer's Kitchen. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. The weekend is just around the corner and Ramadan is expected to start next week. And of course, we need to be mindful of the rules. No large gatherings. Stick to your family members. But it doesn't mean we have to stop enjoying our iftars, our sahors and celebrating. So we're sharing with you this afternoon some Ramadan recipes. Ankit Gulabani is joining us, the social media manager at Spinney's. Ankit, how are you? I'm good, Helen. How are you? I am very well. Um, can I ask you, how is your day in three words? Mm, busy. Busy, uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, my, I do. Mine do is work from home. I'm also working from home. Oh, good. I hope you're not wearing your slippers like I am. I've got some bunnies on my feet. It's not the most professional look. <laughs> I'm wearing my shoes. Oh, good it man. Makes me feel a lot more professional. <laughs> good for you. Well, I was zooming earlier, so I figured if I had, if you know, if I was wearing some makeup and I had a shirt, then I could afford to be a bit more casual on the bottom. That's just the good working from home ethos. Um, now, the, I have to say, the Spinney's magazine is always a thing of beauty. But in the current edition that's on the shelves now, it's bringing together so many wonderful celebrations. And we've just had Easter, of course. Can I just say, I got back from my holiday and thought, I'll pop into Spinney's. I'll see what Easter eggs are left. Maybe they've been reduced. No, cupboards were bare. And I heard people yeah. were selling out of Easter eggs all over Dubai. So that, I was a little bit disappointed. Had to get some little bunnies instead of an egg. But just goes to show we're all in the mood for a bit of chocolate right now. So on the cover, exactly. you've got that beautiful sweet treat with Mirzam chocolate. And of course, we're marking Mother's Day and Ramadan, of course. So can you share some of your favorite recipes? I know you've got one that's using leftovers. Tell us more. Um, so for Suhoor, we've got this fantastic leftover dal pancakes with mm. coriander lime feta dressing. And um, if, like me, you also batch cook your dal and then make a lot more, chances are you're going to have extra left around to use. And these pancakes are a ha- genius hack because you can get some extra protein in your breakfast and they could be made ahead of time, stored, covered in a casserole, or frozen up to three months. Um, and they, they are fabulous. Like they, they can be served with a creamy coriander, lime and feta dressing. The recipes oh, in the magazine. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So with the dal pancakes, so as you say, it is one of those things that we just make a big old pot of it. And yes, you yeah. sometimes freeze it, but sometimes it's just nice to have. A, I mean, I love leftovers. I'm a big believer that sometimes food is just better the next day. So how, yeah. would you, how do you create them? Any tips and tricks like in terms of consistency of the dal, anything we need to know? Um, so a tip that I want to give is definitely like you need a dal with a thicker consistency because final batter's consistency has to be of pouring cream. So mm. you can't have too much liquid to begin with and then end up with that liquidy mess because you need that exact batter consistency to get the pancakes to spread perfectly and to get those lovely like crisp like uh, edges. Those would be amazing. And I love the sound of this. It comes with, you know, it comes with, you create a coriander lime and feta dressing feta is clearly having a bit of a moment right now yeah um, <laughs> you are all over social media your own photography is just absolutely stunning what's happening in terms of social media trends that you're noticing that this might even you know lend itself to um, at its moment, there is a huge TikTok trend where you can use uh, a wrap or like make a burrito or something, and then basically you fold it three times over, uh, and you fill it up with different kinds of fillings, and that's like a big TikTok trend right now. And you can actually do this with the dal pancakes. So leftover dal pancakes with coriander, lime, and feta dressing. Mouth is watering. I had a really, really average turkey sandwich for my lunch today. A classic working from home problem. And um, now, I, now I just want to go out. <laughs> get all I, the ingredients I had dal. Did I you? Had dal. <laughs> um, do you know, I'm very into lentils right now. This is, sounds, so, sounds so strange. But uh, just as a way of sneaking things into the kids' food as well, you know, popping in some red lentils and whizzing it through their pasta sauce. It's yeah. been a massive, massive hit. And we are talking about kids' food later on in the show. Um, so if you've got any tips and tricks or you want some lunchbox hacks, you are in the right place. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, I, I tend to go through kind of phases of cooking certain things. And I got back from holiday after eating, full disclosure, I, th- I thought I'd be going away and having grilled seafood. And No, I just ate, well, 
lots of chips. Um, but I was kind of craving fresh produce, home-cooked food, and it's great to have hotel food and have someone, you know, looking after you, but sometimes you want to come home and have a, a bit of a taste of home. And I got straight back and made my favourite soup, which is a sweet potato and butternut squash Thai soup. And I get the sweet potato from the Spinney's daddy counter, so I don't even need to right. cook it. Coconut cream, coconut milk rather, some stock, some red chili paste, and you know, finished off with sriracha and lime and peanuts. And it's, it freezes brilliantly. And I yeah. know you've got a soup that I think might rival my top one, the Thai soup. Yes. What is yes, the one that you think could take the crown? We've got a creamy butter bean soup with lemon and spinach, and we serve it with a grilled naan that has been brushed with an herb butter. Oh, come on. That sounds yeah. delicious. Is it easy to make? <laughs> yes, it is. So okay, you good. simmer the butter beans, and they make the soup, uh, gives it, this gives the soup a lovely thick and creamy texture. The base of the soup is sautéed leeks, carrots, celery, the basic um, like base that's going to add like so much deep, savory flavor to this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they, we've also got organic baby spinach in there. So, like, it's a healthy soup because you get, like, vitamins K and magnesium. So, I mean, what, what better? Um, and tell us then about the naan. Is that something you were making from scratch or is that something you can pick up in store? Um, so the naan, you can make from scratch, yes, definitely. Um, or you could just pick up something from the store and then or the, like as brushed herb butter on it. If you don't have naan, you can pick up any flatbread from the store and put the herb butter on it. Um, yeah, any extra herb butter can also be frozen if you're cooking lamb and serving it. Great idea. Tummies rumbling across Dubai. Ankit joining us from Spinney's this afternoon as we're looking ahead to Ramadan. Sorting out your Ramadan feast. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinney's. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. It's Helen Farmer with you, getting you in the mood for the weekend with some delicious recipes, some ideas, some inspirations. Joining us from Spinney's now, delighted to be in conversation with Ankit Gulabani. He's a social media manager, an incredible foodie, and his own photography and recipes are well worth a follow. But you'll also find so much in the pages and on the digital platform of Spinney's as well. And we're looking ahead to Ramadan. It is, of course, going to be starting next week. And a time of year to look forward to, to celebrate, to spend with loved ones. And of course, while obeying the rules, it means we can have some of the recipes, old and new, that bring us all together. Now, tell us a little bit about Thareed Ankit. It is a stew. I've tried it, Iftar. I've never had it outside of Ramadan. What exactly is it all about? So it's a popular Arabic stew. It's made usually with vegetables and lamb or chicken, and it's an essential part of the, of the meal. Um, the spice mix used in the stew is a bazaar spice. It's a, like an Arabic masala or the UAE's version of the garam masala. Um, and the recipe for the stew that you'll find in this issue of the Spinney's magazine uses baby potatoes and baby carrots in addition to well-browned lamb meat, whole spices, red chilies. Um, the stew is served on top of or alongside a flatbread, which is very special. Ooh, listen, all bread is special in my book. What makes this yeah. one truly noteworthy? Um, so this flatbread is called Rigag. Have you tried it? No, never. Rigag. How's it spelled? Yeah. It's R-E-G-A-G. Okay, and what? how flat are we talking? And do you make it yourself, or is it something that only an Arabic chef or someone like you could whip up? <laughs> You can actually you can actually make it yourself. It's paper thin, it's crisp, and it's cracker-like. It's made by rolling a very soft ball of dough over a large hot plate mm. until it's thin and uh, golden, and then it's just scraped off. Uh, we have a simpler recipe in the magazine. You can make it at home using some cake flour and water. Or, or where else could I go and try some? Because <laughs> I know I'm never going to make it. Um, there is a rigag maker in uh, Al Labib in Jumeirah, and you can try it. They have they have rigag with all sorts of cool toppings like Nutella and uh, Oman chips. Oh, so, amazing! Uh, What's it called, Al Labib? Al Labib, yeah. That's my neck of the woods. All right, that's on that's on my to do list over the weekend. Ankit, thank you so so much. I know it's a really busy time. And thank you for all of the fantastic ideas yeah. that you put online and in the magazine as well. Wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead and uh, we'll catch up very soon. Thank you so, so much. I think we're all thoroughly hungry now. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. You are indeed. Now, it is, of course, Ramadan next week. 
A time when, yes, we bring together friends and family and celebrate and reflect, and food is an enormous part of it. But do you know when to stop? Hmm. I have to say, I don't fast often, um, and, well, I often just massively overeat. It's like the floodgates open. So how can we stay in control of our appetite and have a bit of a healthy Ramadan? Thay is joining us this afternoon, Thea Dern. She is a board-certified holistic nutritionist to tell us how to not overeat during Ramadan. Thay, how are you? Hello, Helen. How are you? I'm great. You sound very upbeat. What is your three-word Thursday this afternoon? How is your day in three words? Oh, um, busy, mm-hmm. exciting, mm-hmm. and delicious because I just had an amazing lunch. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. All right, brilliant. Now, Ramadan is, of course, coming up, and with it, there can be a whole host of health problems, to, to be honest about it, because we've all heard those stories um, of countries in the GCC where... People think they're having a heart attack and it's just indigestion because they've had all the food. (laughs) So what we're talking about this afternoon are some of the common issues during Ramadan and making sure that we indulge and we celebrate and we enjoy some of our favorite dishes with friends and family, but do it in a way that doesn't necessarily lead us to the ER. What are some of the common issues that you've seen in clients or even in the news when it comes to health during the holy month? Yeah, so I mean, this month is brilliant. It's amazing. It's a time to actually, it is, what I love about this, I mean, I fasted, I'm not Muslim by faith, but I have fasted the past three years, just so I can kind of feel what the people go through, mm-hmm. what my clients go through, then I can actually, you know, get that feeling right. So constipation, acid reflux, blood sugar levels just going through the roof, fatigue, loss of concentration, um, bloating. So these are the common ones that, like, the majority of the people come across. And mm-hmm. just with food, I mean, fasting is amazing. It's a replenishment for those cells. You're giving your body a break, and at the same time, you are actually fine-tuning and to listening to your body. So you get that connection back. Because we kind of lose it. We just mindlessly eat, go along live. But this month is a time to just listen and get in tune with your body again. You're absolutely right. You know, the intermittent fasting movement um, has absolutely exploded over the course of the last few years. People choosing to give, as you say, give their bodies a really significant break from food during the course of the day. So Ramadan is a way, as you know, we know it's about a spiritual journey as well as a physical one. Um, But what about what to do come sunset about breaking that fast because it's perhaps not recommended to go straight for a drive through What are some of the things you should be introducing yeah, what, to your body? Yeah, 100%. So like the two meals that I really focus on is obviously your iftar and her. Mm-hmm. So when you think iftar, I want you to think um, replenishment. You've, you've literally fasted that whole entire time, no water, no food. So iftar is time to replenish those reserves. Then when you have your suhoor, you want to think longevity. You want to think, okay, I'm going to have a meal that's going to be sustaining, slow-releasing. Um, so your iftar plate, um, there's a reason why there's dates and water. Do you know with just dates, you can literally live life. It is one of the few fruits that have a complete nutrient profile. So break your fast with water, like be 70% water. So you need to get that in. So a couple of dates. Next, what I encourage so many people to do is go and make a soup. What a brilliant way to get a bunch of nutrients in one bowl. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can put 67 different kinds of vegetables in there, blend it up, and now you've lined your tummy so well to deal with the rest of the food that are going to come. A great question that's come in on 4001 from Afia saying, what are the best foods to eat to sustain energy throughout the day during Ramadan, specifically for someone with diabetes? So waking up early... Having that meal that, as Afia's saying, sustains you during the day, what are some of the things that we could be including in that, especially, as you're saying, with a, you know, a high population of diabetics here in the UAE? 100%. Okay, so like when you have that suhoor meal, your last meal, you want to think of having whole grains. So I don't want you to be grabbing, you know, white bread or processed stuff. If you, what's a great thing to do is make like chia seed puddings or, or overnight oats with some peanut butter. Mm. Have a little bit of fat in there kind of sustain you and keep your cells nourished until you're going to reach that point. And then you also want to include tons of hydrating uh, fruits and vegetables. So have your oats and then have tons of berries. Berries are phenomenal in a way that they actually act as like a starch blocker. So even if you're going to be having oats or let's just say another kind of grain, this has a slow release into your bloodstream 
sort of sustain you until you can eat again. So it's, it's uh, overnight oats, berries, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, boom, you've got it. <laughs> I'm hungry. I have just had a little snack on the Kimry dates. We're speaking to the founders after four o'clock. I was thinking, I should be a good journalist. I should try this product and it's delicious. So I always welcome dates and those energy balls are just absolutely brilliant. So it kind of whips them up at home. Um, but we can't help ourselves. You know, so many people are looking forward to this time of year where there might be recipes that you haven't eaten you know, for the rest of that whole 12 months when it's something that's special. A family member is really excited to make it for you. Um, what about the power of kind of listening to your body and knowing when you're full? So this is the thing, right? I always say to people, um, as much, you don't want to resist having a good time in your family because that's also health, right? Mm, that's of course. Health, it, it adds to everything. So why I'm so very dominant with how their first meal is going to be. So your Ishtar plate, right? Make it into quarters. You want some whole grains, fresh salad, vegetables, and then a protein sauce. So that's your four that you're going to put onto your plate. Then once you once you give your body what it needs, once you once you replenish it up, you don't really have room for the fried foods and the sweets that you, that you thought you craved so much. So maybe you'll have like a bite here, you'll have okay, a samosa here, a fried kibber here, but you have now nourished your body so well that it's like you know what, I'm fine. If you want to indulge a little bit, go ahead. But then you will actually feel after that smoothie or after what the sweet um, dessert that you've had, it's enough. So that first meal is so important to activate those digestive enzymes, to get that your stomach lining actually activated once again with water. Then you indul- you'll see your indulgence comes down. Faye, thank you so much for your time today. Um, really appreciate it. I think it's a good thing to have in mind ahead of the holy month. But yes, as you say, about enjoying as well. So enjoy that mental health side of being with friends and family. But uh, yeah, hopefully not stretch your pants every single night of the holy month. Have a great weekend ahead. Really appreciate your time today. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are getting you in the mood for the weekend, Helen Farmer with you. I'm at home today. I'm looking out of my window. The weather is glorious. The children have been dispatched, so you won't hear any shrieking kids, but you might hear a few woofing spaniels over the course of the next hour, although they are dozing quite happily at my feet. Talking food this afternoon, what else? And joining us now is Neil Gibson. He's the category manager of produce at Spinney's. It's all about choosing fresh cherries and strawberries. And Neil, how are you this afternoon? Hi, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. We're asking everyone for their three-word Thursday today, so summing up their day in just three words. Mine, of course, is working from home. We've had foggy driving day. We've had about showering cats and scratching. How's your day in three words? Busy bananas and uh, <laughs> lovely lunch. That's four. <laughs> Sacked. Four words. Lunch. Busy lunch. <laughs> now, I, was, I came, of course, came back from holiday the other night. First thing we do the next morning, I've got my shopping list, go into Spinney's, and the smell hits me from the berry patch, and it just smells like summer because the strawberries are incredible at the moment it is of course beginning of april and we're starting to see some of those warmer climbs around the world producing some beautiful produce but here's my question to you with all the varieties on the shelves how on earth do we choose and is there that much difference between the berries okay so in the month of april and may we're going to have quite a different choice of uh, strawberries for customers we're going to have from Scotland, a variety called Lusa, which is from Sea Hills Farm. Now, that's, a, that's really super sweet. Um, we're going to have a modding centenary, which is in our standard Spinney's food label. That's a medium sweet one. And we have the Annabelle's from Yorkshire, which is a, a kind of a fuller flavoured one. So I really recommend to try them all and see which one you prefer. They, they're all really, really good. The, the quality of strawberries has stepped on significantly in the mm. last few years. And they're a lot better than the strawberries that you may have had a few years ago. So we're really excited about the uh, the, the forthcoming UK I'm, strawberry season. I'm glad you said that because I've been in Dubai 14 years and I remember buying strawberries more than a few years ago, maybe like between five and ten years ago. And they didn't taste of anything. You know, you'd bite into one. It was kind of white inside. Be like, well, I just spent quite a bit of money on something that I've not really enjoyed. But that is not the case anymore. The strawberries taste like strawberries. And I'm really glad you mentioned Scottish there because that's my absolute favourite. I'm from very close to Scotland. And that's, that's my memory of going to 
a farm in Northumberland called Brock's Bushes, and it was a pick-your-own, and I'd go with my granny, and we'd buy and eat an awful lot, and then go home and make jam, and it's just, it's summer, it's memories, and now I'm a bit more grown up, I have them, you know, sometimes in smoothies, but eating mess, and it's, it's just, it's my favourite fruit, as you can tell, very closely followed by cherries, and tell us a little bit about some of the countries where you're sourcing your cherries from. So we follow the sun pretty much around the globe on cherries. So during the month of March, we were uh, sourcing from Tasmania and Patagonia, right at the bottom of, uh, of Chile. And that's the end of the, the season in terms of the Southern Hemisphere season. The next new season cherries tend to come from North America or Spain. It just depends on who has the warmer, the warmer spring. But we do have these special cherries uh, called Glamour Ones, and they're going to be in stores. <laughs> glamour, well, they're, I think they're called glamour mainly because they're quite expensive. Um, <laughs> but, um, so they are, um, they're grown in greenhouses, would you believe it, in Spain. And it means they can, they can start the season a couple of weeks early than everyone else. So they're the only cherries available in the world. Uh, glamour cherries, not that cheap, but they're going to be in stores ready for, for Ramadan this weekend. So that's really exciting. If I was to win the 500 dirham voucher to spend in Spinney's, as we have every Thursday afternoon in Farmer's Kitchen, I would just buy cherries. That is like the ultimate treat for me. It really, really is. So great that we're going to be getting some more in store. And I'm really looking forward to having... Maybe we need to do a bit of a strawberry taste test and, uh, and see if you can tell the difference and see what they would lend themselves to. But, Neil, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. I'm going to pop off and get some straws. Neil Gibson there, the category manager of produce at Spinney's. Nice palate-changing cleansing chat should i say you're listening to farmer's kitchen with spinnies only on dubai i 103.8 here on dubai i we love celebrating the small businesses they are very much the lifeblood of the city and unfortunately so many have had a really tough time over the course of the last year spinnies is doing its best to do something about that and the spinnies incubator program is something that is actually really special, working with homegrown small businesses to put them on the shelves of the supermarket. And joining us this afternoon is the winner of such programme. Delighted to be joined by Sarah Selle, the founder of Kimri Dates, who is part of the Spinney's Incubator programme. How are you, Sarah? Hello, Helen. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolute pleasure. Now, if you feel like my energy levels have risen over the course of the last half hour, it's because I've just had some of your dates. Um, oh, I, did you? Yeah, I did. Honestly, I've just, I've just I had the almond and sea salt and they were delicious. Oh, that's a really good one. It was what a really did you think of it. Delicious. <laughs> I've had the coconut ones. They, they were my desk drawer for about two minutes before I ripped into them a few weeks ago. Um, but for anyone <laughs> okay. who hasn't tried your dates, can you explain? You definitely uh, try them. <laughs> yeah, definitely try them. But what's it all about? What makes them different, do you think? Um, so basically, Kimri is the peak bridge of, of dates and chocolate. Um, the, the brand shares a passion for bridging cultures and reinventing flavors. And I'd say that's the core of it. And uh, and I, I I think it's very different in that perspective from the rest of the brands out there. And it um, um, basically it takes in, into consideration different cultures and different flavors that are out there, and it mixes it them all in one and and kind of makes it a communal brand for everyone to share. Tell us about some of the flavors that you've got available. As I said, I've just had um, the one that's got almond and sea salt, coconut. I've seen raspberry as well. What's, um, what kind yes. of flavors are you putting together with these gorgeous dates? Um, so there's peanut butter and milk chocolate, which is one of the top sellers. And there's raspberry cream and white chocolate, which is another one that's uh, liked by many people out there. Um, these are some of the flavors. There are eight that I've launched with Spinneys and uh, and in the gift boxes that I've currently launched, there are five new flavors which have gone out. One Can of the on, really different ones is the lavender white chocolate mm. and the ginger cream one. Oh, yum. I wanted to ask you something because mm. looking at the packaging here, it talks about a dark chocolate, uh, dark compound chocolate. What does that mean? Can you explain a little bit what happens behind the scenes when it comes to bringing together these ingredients? So yes, um, the chocolate itself is handmade and uh, the moment we start adding in different ingredients into the chocolate, it becomes a compound chocolate because it's not a pure block that is basically purchased and melted and, mm. and the chocolates are not dipped into that directly. So we do add other ingredients into the cocoa 
and and we add cocoa butter as well, which makes it a compound chocolate. It's it's not any less flavorful than a real chocolate, but it's basically handmade with other ingredients. Can I ask about where you source your dates from? Because we're very lucky to be in this part of the world where we've got a huge number yeah. of you know of choice really from different countries, and even it, in the same country, you know, here in the UAE, different varieties. So, what? How did you choose yours? So, so one of the things that uh, I'd like to to emphasize on this is obviously the fact that everything is local, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we do work with local farms across the UAE to source these dates and uh, and try to to use as many local businesses as possible when when putting together the brand, and it goes all the way from the packaging to the dates to to the transportations and everything. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the dates we often consume here in the region? What are some of the varieties we might be familiar with? Um, you know, seeing, I mean, I'm actually looking out my window now and there's a date palm in my next door neighbor's garden, which is just, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, I mean, how amazing is that? Um, but, you know, what, what we'll be seeing on the shelves of, of Spinney's, what are some of the names we might recognize? So the, the dates that are currently being used with Kimri is the Khudri dates. And these are the most chewy and kind of, soft ones mm-hmm. and they work well with creams and chocolates. So these are the ones that we use. Um, there are other ones out there like the Mitch Dual dates and these are a bit more meaty and sweeter, but they don't necessarily work so well when you combine it with creams and chocolates. So I can only you. imagine what the tasting process must be like. You know, just I think exactly. it's kind of like <laughs> Willy Wonka chocolate factory of Four dates months. and oh, really <laughs> Four months, yes. It was it was a very lengthy process. Um, um, I mean, going back, I when I originally thought of the idea, I was I was on a trip in Europe, and I thought to myself, I really want to be able to bring my experience and kind of cultural background and having lived in this part of the world for so long, and uh, and bring it basically to, to to other parts of the world out there and mm. and I thought of the dates directly and uh, and how I can use the dates from the UAE to reinvent them and and kind of spread them out there and um, and going back to to to, the, to your question I came back from my trip and that's when I it hit me I started researching into factories and which ones produce dates and um, and which ones are able to 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 do the creams that I want and incorporate all the nuts and spices that I'd like to use. And so I finally found one and uh, I'm very grateful for that person who was working there at the time. He, he actually put up with me a lot and, <laughs> and it was, it was a huge process of like going back and forth between ingredients. No, it's too sweet. No, we should add this or we should eliminate that. And it started off with 32 flavors and we narrowed it down to, 18 or 19, if I remember right, but only launched with eight after I t- tested it on different friends and family. Were there any flavors that you thought would work, but just were a bit of a disaster and never made it out of the factory? Yes. What? Tell us. Yes. So actually, it was the tahini dark chocolate, but then when I switched it to a milk chocolate, which I've introduced to my gift box range at the moment, it worked perfectly fine. Trial and error is everything. Can I, and and you, yes. you're talking there about a fresh look. It's something that is a very traditional symbol of life here in the UAE, you know, the date. But the branding itself is really modern, really fresh. Yes. Um, can I ask you about the name? What does Kimri mean? So Kimri uh, stands for the, the evolution of the date, actually. When it's in the 17th week of its life cycle, that's when it's given the name Kimri. And that's also when the color of the date uh, itself is green. So mm-hmm. that, that was the inspiration behind the packaging as well. Um, and if, um, if I, I kind of went out there, I looked at different packagings that are on the market, and I didn't want to be... Um, I don't want to basically do what is currently out there. I wanted to reinvent it. And and the brand also stands for reinventing things, They're reinventing flavor, reinventing the actual packaging and everything. So I uh, I used that green color and I wanted to to put the flavor on the on the front of the the packaging instead of putting the actual date because that <laughs> I thought would probably attract the customers more and then they would kind of ask what is that and then they'd pick it up and and then they would see the well date. it's on the shelves of spinnies now 
You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on Farmer's Kitchen. Joined on air now by Sarah Saleh, the founder of Kimri Date, a brilliant snack that's now available on the shelves of spinach. You'll recognise it by a really lovely kind of pistachio green colour. And it's bringing together flavours and, yes, dates. Um, Sarah, can I ask you, you, you talked about coming back from a trip and wanting to start a business. This has led to you quitting your job. That's a huge decision. Yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, so at the time, it was, I think it... I was on my trip in December, and uh, and once I came back, I started researching into into factories and everything, and uh, and then so I I only quit my job in in February, but I I was I've been working on this for the past two years, and um, and I think um, at the time before quitting my job, I was uh, I was kind of ready with everything and and I felt really confident to go out there and pitch and I was like I'm leaving my job now and it was February at the time and uh, and so I resigned and then took and uh, and after that uh, the pandemic hit in March and I think it it kind of made me panic a little bit if I have to be honest but listen Ramadan is around the corner. You're part of the Spinney's Incubator program. So, th- but, yes. you know, this, this is a great time to be working with so dates. That was a big turning point, actually. And being part um, of that incubator program. Tell us a little bit about what um, Spinney's has done to, you know, support you, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. So, so once the, the pandemic hit, I, uh, I was thinking of ways. I was very confident in the product. I knew it would work. I really wanted to get it out there to people. And and so I was scrolling on on LinkedIn one day randomly, um, and uh, I came across the the incubator program. And then I thought to myself, I really need to apply to this. I think it it could work. And uh, and I applied for it. And I think um, I think it was a week later I got contacted, and uh, and they asked me to come in for an interview. And uh, I went in and uh, presented the product to. To a group of, uh, I think it was around eight people, and I felt like the, the spotlight was on me at that point in time. <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to make this work. I really want to give it my best shot. I want to tell them all about it because I am passionate about it, and and I've put all my work into it. So mm-hmm. I think that reflected in the meeting as well. And uh, and they really loved the product. And um, and I walked out of there. I was really happy and uh, had good faith in <laughs> in everything. And I think I waited for a month and then they contacted me and told me that I got through. Oh, my goodness. What a feeling. And what I mean, that must be very surreal to have something that you've worked on yourself. And now when you walk around your local Spinney's store, you're seeing it on the shelves. What does that feel like? I feel very grateful and and very happy to be able to kind of take everything from an idea two years Mm -hmm. ago and and see it on the shelves. That makes me really happy. And and I think it's. It also helps uh, bring kind of um, how do you, how do I put this? I, it makes me happy, but I'll, it also makes me want to inspire other people for a oh. change, like in in return to that. Well, can I ask then? Because a lot of people have a passion for food and would love to turn that hobby or you know love into a business. And food is a very difficult thing to break into in terms of licensing. Yes. It's not just a case of saying, you know, I'm going to make jam and next thing I know, I'm, I'm, you know, you, there are certain licenses. And of course, this is because of health and safety and, and quality yes. control. But if anyone out exactly. there who has got an idea, but perhaps doesn't know what to do with it, what advice would you give? Well, um, I would say turn inwards and uh, and ask yourself what really makes you happy and what you're passionate about. Because once you know that um, within yourself and and kind of you you work on that and you stick to it and you make sure that you put in the commitment and determination to 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 get through all the steps and kind of map out the different areas um, in the market and see where there's a gap and how can I make it different and 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 maybe put yourself in the customer's shoes as well what would they think of it and and what can I do to to probably make a great product or service out there that will be used by the people so you as I said we've got Ramadan around the corner um the 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 snacks are just 
delicious. As I said, I enjoyed some earlier to give me a little mid-afternoon boost. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you feel like you have a favourite flavour? Or do you feel like there's something that if you haven't eaten it, then you haven't had the Kimri experience? Go on, what's the fave? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I would say it's two of them. So so it's with the first flavours that were launched, it's the raspberry cream white chocolate. I'm a big lover of white chocolate, and I think that that, that was my favourite by far. But then when I launched the gift boxes, it's still white chocolate, but it's the <laughs> lavender cream one. <laughs> Love the sound of it. Thank you so, so much for being with us this afternoon. As we Thank said, you, you can so find Kimri on shelves. If people want to check you out on social media, get in touch with you, what's the best way? Shop Kimri. Shop Kimri. You'll find it there. Thank yes. you so much, Sarah. Wishing <laughs> you all the so best and a blessed month ahead. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you now. The weekend is upon us which means, well, Sunday's back to school. Can you believe it? The spring break is absolutely, well, in some ways whizzed by, in some ways pretty much dragged. I have become the official snack distributor for our home. Children have not stopped asking for food. To be fair to them, I did measure them the other day, and they've both grown about five centimetres in about two months. So it's clearly a bit of a growth spurt going on, but I think boredom might be playing a part too. So how can you get back into some good habits with some lunchbox ideas? Jordana Vetska is joining us, dietitian at Genesis Clinic, to give us some ideas. Jordana, how are you? Hi, nice to be back. How are you? I, I am really well. Tell me your three-word Thursday. How's your day in three words? I would say well, splash pad fun. Yay! Love a splash pad. Oh, brilliant. Well, it is back to school. It's back to reality from Sunday morning, back to the school run um, and back yeah. to lunch boxes as well. I normally start off with the best of intentions and then kind of by day three, I'm just chucking any old leftovers in. I have been known to put leftover pizza in there. Didn't really yeah. care, to be honest. It's not the worst thing. Not the worst thing. <laughs> but what are some of the classic mistakes that parents make? when shopping for lunchbox snacks and meals? I think people try to, parents try to go and look for kind of quick and easy snacks and things get sold as being super healthy because they're organic or kind of they look better because of the packaging. And then we actually end up choosing a lot of high sugar options that are very refined carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. unnecessary for our children. And it actually makes them hungrier throughout the day. So we end up essentially making our kids want to eat more throughout the day as well. Okay, I'm not asking for specific brands, but perhaps can you tell us about some of the foods that we maybe should be avoiding? So look for your things like look for your things like um, flavored yogurts, for example. Those are things loaded in sugar that we have to be avoiding. Um, things like little snacky types of rice cakes that have flavorings on them. Again, they've got a lot of sugar in them, and so we need to be avoiding those. You've just named two of my kids' favorite snacks. My kids are like rice cake and I think I'm doing them, you know, giving them a healthy option. Um, It it can be really hard because, my goodness, they can whinge. And I am, I'd be terrible under under any kind of serious investigation. If they asked me three times, I'd just cave. (laughs) I I would be atrocious, a terrible spy. Um, It is really hard, I think for parents to, you know, stay strong, stay consistent, keep introducing new things. And they all go through these little kind of personality waves of being great with food and then just suddenly refusing things. They don't want anything. Oh, it's <laughs> so frustrating. Um, so when we think about food that's going to keep them going during the day, protein must be so important to keep them full. What are some easy things we can pop into lunch boxes to give a good bit of protein? So easy things would be something like a boiled egg. It's, it's something that you can make essentially at the beginning of the week, boil a whole lot, and then you're literally taking out a few throughout the week. So not doing it every single day, doing it every single day so that they don't get that fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, doing things like little chicken meatballs or little um, beef meatballs, for example, again, batch cook them, load them up into the freezer. So you literally are taking out two or three and then you're just popping it into the into their lunchbox, actually, and you're allowing it to defrost, essentially, during the day. And that's what they can be snacking on during their lunch for giving them their protein that they need to be taking. Also, things like cheeses, little bite-sized mm. cheeses that you can be putting in. Really easy for us to be taking 
popping it in. For our kids also, we're always wanting to think that it must be easy for them to be eating and not too complicated, that they don't actually want to be eating the food because it's just too hard. <laughs> and this is, I think, sometimes you know, going to school can actually be a really good opportunity to be introducing some new foods. Do not underestimate yes. the power of peer pressure. I mean, my kids will come home and say, oh, so-and-so had sweet corn. I go, oh, did they? interesting and that might just go in go in the next day um and you know they want to be like their friends and but kids are you know that they're they're like us you know they eat with their eyes first so i'm certainly not condoning anyone anyone spending an hour making a bento box of like a mini panda running across a green pasture in lunchbox form but we do need to make the food attractive what are some of the ways that we can do that without you know becoming a pinterest mother and having or father and uh yeah wasting a bit of time so something that's really easy is just look for contrasting colors. So if you're going to be putting in a fruit and a vegetable into the lunchbox, look for something that's like a red and a green. So you're going for a red fruit and a green vegetable. That straight away is going to be appealing. And then it's also a way for you to get variety into your kid's diet. So what I normally recommend when I'm working for parents is that you lay out a week plan and then you literally go, these are the colors for my vegetables in the week. So Sunday would be red. Monday would be yellow and so on, and then do contrasting colors for your fruit. And then that's how you can start to make it a bit more eye-appealing for our children. Mm-hmm. Also, instead of doing those full bento boxes, just get little, little um, caricature toothpicks that you can buy. You can get them on Amazon, for example, and it just helps them. It makes it a little bit more kind of, wow, look at this exciting thing that I have. And it's easier, again, for them to be eating. They don't necessarily get those dirty little fingers then, but it's something that, oh, my goodness, today I have a giraffe-type toothpick or I have a cow toothpick today, for example. And I've seen um, Citron, which is a, a local brand here in the UAE, yeah. do some great ones. You can get them in spinnies, little sandwich picks with characters on, little um, exactly. cuts, you know, little shape cutters that you can do cucumber or, mm-hmm. um, you know, all your fruits with as well. And... As I say, you don't want to, let's not, let's not kill ourselves every single morning to, you know, make it for our little prince and princess. But if it's no. going to make sure that they get some goodness into their bodies, um, then absolutely. What about carbs? I feel like they're so demonized and they absolutely should not be, especially when it comes to growing kids. Some healthy yeah. carbs, keep the energy levels going. I mean, even if you've got after school activities, what are some things that you'd recommend popping into a lunchbox, Jordana? So you've mentioned one of the easy ones, sweet corn. You can be taking a whole sweet corn, and sweet corn is something that you don't actually always have to be cooking. So just take a whole one, snap it in half, and give it to them raw like that. They're super sweet. That's a really good unrefined carbohydrate that they can have. And then again, don't underestimate that simple sandwich. But now look at that sandwich and go, I'm actually going to be making it with some more whole grain bread or some sourdough bread, for example. That's going to be more sustaining for them than just having a white bread sandwich. And then putting on a cheese or putting on something like hummus. We can't be using any of our nut butters, but these are the types of things that you can be putting on and then combining with your carbohydrates which would then make it that the carbohydrates aren't having that big peak in their Mm. glucose levels and rather keeping their glucose levels a little bit more sustained. And Um, also looking at your grains, quinoa, couscous, make a batch, and then you can be taking out a couple of tablespoons kind of every second day again. Take a tablespoon, two tablespoons of quinoa, mix it up with some tomatoes and some cucumber. Really simple, but something that kids actually do quite like and can be quite interesting colors that you're getting there as well. So my kids, um, I'm just my daughter, eldest especially, has got really into the spinney's chicken, the rotisserie chicken, mainly mm-hmm. because she likes going up and she likes ordering and pointing out the chicken that she would like. Um, but that's been actually really great for lunch boxes as well, kind of doing yeah. wraps or even little kind of quesadillas um, with them yeah. as well. And actually, the spinney's counter in general, um, when you're going along, can, you know, ask them to have a little look and do, you know, point out the ones they'd like to try and get a small amount. Yeah. Um, some, so even t- like a potato salad that you get from spinney's, mm-hmm. for example, could be a good option for their lunchbox. In the current issue of spinney's, there's some great ideas for lunchbox, you know, kind of inspirations as well they've got as you mentioned before sweet corn tuna mayonnaise sandwich with sweet corn and a high fiber bread cheese and coleslaw bap um rotisserie chicken chicken and avocado using an organic flour tortilla with lettuce and i love the sound of this a mini sloppy joe slider so it's basically a bolognese sauce and sliders really hearty you've got veggies in the sauce as well like carrot onion garlic celery and i really hope my daughter isn't coming back from her play date now and is listening to me because 
we <laughs> because she would um because we snuck in some red lentils which is the kind of thing i always have in my cupboard i think i've moved house with bags of dried red lentils and never ever cooked with them but made made some because I was I was going to make a soup that I put them in and we just put it in some bolognese sauce the other day. She didn't notice a single thing and yeah, sneaky sneaky made me feel like a smug mum for feeding my kid lentils for the probably the first time ever. So yeah. I love I love all this. It's, it is brilliant. Now in terms of people getting in touch with you for some ideas, inspirations, or even if people are feeling and it you know it does happen a lot, a, a little bit powerless when it comes to taking control of their child's diet and making sure they are getting what they need when first of all um when what's the best way of getting in touch with you jordana at genesis so they can get in touch directly at genesis so contact the call center at genesis or they can email me at nutrition at genesis-dubai.com or get in touch with me on my instagram which is jv underscore nutrition and when would you say it's the time to come and see a dietitian? You know, what are some of the red flags that parents should be looking out for in terms of child's, you know, behavior or, um, you know, kind of general pickiness or even what they're consuming? So for me, it's a big thing of we trying to catch these children before they actually turn into a major issue. So if you mm. start to notice that your child's kind of the variety of foods is becoming less and less and less. And you can start to get to around about 25 to 20 foods and it's just slowly starting to decrease, decrease. That's the time to come. Don't wait for them to only be eating five different types of foods because then it's a whole lot more difficult for us to work with. We want to kind of catch any kind of picky eating before we actually at that problem feeder stage. Other times is if you're concerned about their weight, so either being on that overweight or on that underweight, rather just come and have a chat. See where you're sitting so that you can make changes now proactively rather than reacting to there being an issue. You might be getting an appointment with me very soon because my youngest is doing exactly that, just saying at every turn, I don't like bananas anymore. I don't like cucumber anymore. And I'm like, you liked them last week. Please do not make my life even more difficult on the food front, child. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your insights this afternoon. And good luck to all parents out there when it comes to lunchboxes. Do not be a slave to your child in their eating, but do make sure they're getting what they need. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai Eye 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.